Jesus. Oh. All right. Do I sound good? La, 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 la. That's my preferred sound check. Um, <laughs> good morning. Um, I get the chance today to do what we call a one-off sermon, which just means I'm not going to be in our First Peter series, but we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1. On Tuesday evenings, Marcy and I help teach the young adult group here upstairs at the church. And uh, this is a section we got to go through with the youth about six weeks ago. And it's been one that just hasn't left my brain, um, that God keeps recalling to me and just allows me to worship Him for what He's done through His Son. And so I chose this section for us today. Um, Now before we get into our text, there's some things we need to know about the letter of Hebrews just briefly. See, this letter was written to Jewish Christians who were being tempted to abandon their Christian faith and return to Judaism. It seems that some of the some of the Jewish Christians found that it was it was much easier to be Jewish than it was to be Christian uh, in Roman society. They were kind of grandfathered in um, and somewhat accepted, um, at least considered normal. Whereas Christianity was was controversial, scandalous even. In the opening section of this letter, the writer will show that God has now spoken to us in a way greater than in days past. Right? He's now spoken to us by His Son. And the writer's hope is that by highlighting what God has accomplished through His Son and who Jesus is, that they will see once again the glory of God's plan through Jesus and remain true to the Christian faith. And my hope is the same for us today as we, as we walk through these verses um, that God would stir up in us just a worship of Him who loved us so much that He sent His Son uh, so that we, our sins could be forgiven and we could spend an eternity with Him. So let's take a look. Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Now this opening line is an important one for us today, so let me take it one more time. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. I mean, right off the bat, God spoke, right? That's huge. That's been part of the the Christian confession um, for a very long time. But before that, it was even part of the Jewish confession, the nation of Israel, to, to nations around them. We have a God who has spoken, right? He has spoken at many times and in many ways. Now, God did this by inspiring people, right, to speak and to write His words. I would include the entire Old Testament in this statement. Not only the writings that we would maybe consider to be prophecy in the narrow sense, um, prophecies like, like in Isaiah, right, especially during Christmas time, we think of ones like, like this. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Right? When, we, when we say God has spoken in many times in many ways, we think more than that. We also include the story of Jonah, right? the entire law, really the whole Old Testament, because all of it was written 
to point forward to what God would do in Christ. And we see this in the, in the Road to Emmaus account, right? In Luke chapter 24, it tells the story of after Jesus has risen, he finds, he's walking down the road and he finds two of his disciples walking down the road. And they're talking and they're, you know, they're discussing these things that have happened in the last few days. And Jesus says, you know, what are you guys talking about? And they kind of look at him astonished and they're like, how do you not know what we're talking about? Like, you must not be from around here. We're talking about like the biggest news to happen in Jerusalem in forever, right? And they begin to tell him like there was this, this man, Jesus, and we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, but now he's dead. And they're confused because some of the women in their group had reported that the tomb was empty and they, they don't really understand what that means yet. And uh, it even tells us in, in the scriptures that they were kept from recognizing who Jesus was as he asked, their, as, asked that question. And how does Jesus respond to them? He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. He says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory? And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he kind of unlocks the Old Testament for them and shows them that all these things pointed forward to him and that he hadn't failed by dying, but that he had accomplished what God had sent him to do. I love that story. What what verses do you think Jesus reminded them of, right? What do you think he, he showed them to remind them that the Christ had to suffer? It kind of reminds me of Isaiah 53, right? We see the passage of the suffering servant, um, maybe one of the most famous prophecies about the Messiah. And in this passage, it looks forward to a servant who would suffer for God's people and by doing so, heal them of their sin. I want to read a little bit of it for you right now. It says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the sin of us all. What a preview of what God would do for us in Christ. What an awesome preview. Sometimes I think of uh, prophecies like previews, right? Like movie previews. Before a movie comes out, the studio will release maybe just a two-minute clip of an upcoming film to kind of drum up excitement in people, right? Get them, get them stoked about this movie that's coming out. And it works too, right? I mean, I can remember just so many times different movies. Just I remember the first time I saw the Lord of the Rings previews. I was just like, this is going to be awesome. You know, I was like, I couldn't sleep for weeks. Recently, Marvel Studios, right? They're the ones who do a lot of the comic book movies, Ant-Man, Spider-Man. I'd say Batman, but someone who's like a comic book nerd would be like, that's DC. Yeah. <laughs> Busted. Um, they released a bunch of trailers for TV shows that aren't going to come out for even years from now. And fans went insane, right? <clears throat> they went crazy over them. There's super fans that'll 
watch interviews with the cast, go to Comic-Con, you know, when it comes around. Even we'll watch the trailers and kind of break them down piece by piece, trying to figure out what's going to be in the film when it's released. You can go on YouTube and just find, like, video after video of people just, like, going, okay, if you pause it at exactly 36 seconds into the preview, you'll see that, like, Ant-Man has a has a different watch on, and that shows us, like, they're in an alternate timeline, like, stuff like that. It's video after video. I watch them, too. I like them, so don't, don't, be, <laughs> don't, don't feel bad. I was going to do my nerd voice that. I'm like, well, if you pause it, but I thought that would be offensive, so I didn't. All right. Anyway, there are tons and tons of videos like this of people just, they can't wait till the movies come out. Um, so they're searching and searching in eager anticipation for those films to be released. I think in the same way, God's people um, look forward with anticipation, right, with excitement, um, with hope to the day the Messiah would come. They cherish the previews. They cherish the sacred writings. But now the author is proclaiming that we're living in the last days. And as great as those as those prophecies were, as great a gift they were, they're really nothing compared to God's Son, right? They're nothing compared to the fulfillment of what those writings were pointing to. And so beginning in this first verse, the author does something they'll continue to do throughout this letter, um, which is to contrast kind of the former things with the fulfillment of those things. They'll contrast like um, the temple, the law, the prophets with the fulfillment, right? Christ. They want us to see that God used the former things not to just be an end in themselves, but always to point forward to God's ultimate plan of salvation through his son. We're talking about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. What the writer's saying is this. Now that the fulfillment has come, don't abandon the full revelation of God to return to the partial, right? I mean, once the movie or TV show comes out, you wouldn't just go back and watch the previews over and over again, would you? No. Once the movie's released, those previews have, have served their purpose. Right? If I invited you over for a Lord of the Rings marathon, and we put our Snuggies on and we got our popcorn, right? And then I just played three trailers. You'd be like, and I was like, go home. You'd be upset, right? Like, we'd save a lot of time. Like, a lot of time. It's like 12 hours or something with the extended editions, which are the only editions, by the way. Don't, don't come at me with a the theatrical. Okay. All right. We also live in the last days, right? We don't need to um, go back and worship the previews. We live in a time where God has spoken to us directly through his son. We live in a time where we, we've received the greatest revelation of God ever given to this world. Now, to show this, the writer is going to make a series of statements highlighting who Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. This section will answer the question, why the Son, right? Why did God send his only Son? Why did it have to be his Son? So the next section says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. God has chosen his Son to inherit all things. This looks forward to a time when everything that has been created will be placed under the rule of Christ. As Christians, one of the cool things is like we know how the story ends, right? It ends with Christ in victory, seated on his throne. One day, 
all of creation will bow before the Son. Now this is kind of an, an interesting place for the writer to begin because he's given us the ending first, right? Now that's not a problem. Some of the best movies start with the ending. I don't know why I'm talking about movies all day today, but some of the best movies start with the ending. I can't name most of them, but <laughs> sometimes getting to see the ending first engages us in the story um, from the start. Now here the author you know, isn't, isn't trying to improve the story, but rather to, to give us the ending first so that we know from the outset that God has chosen the Son to rule. He's saying don't abandon Christ because Christ has already won. Our scripture continues, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. So now we're back at the beginning, right? We're in Genesis. How did God create the universe and everything in it? He spoke. Everything that is was brought into creation, or everything that is was brought into existence through the word of the Almighty. God spoke. Can you guess where I'm going with this? In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing that has been made. Whoa, here we go. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. That's a tongue twister right there. All right. Put plainly, when God spoke in Genesis 1, He spoke through His Son, right? So in the beginning, God spoke, and it was what? Good. We're given this picture of a, of a perfect creation where God and humans walk together. Our relationship with our Creator was good. Our relationship with each other was good. And our relationship with creation was good. But we know that creation didn't stay good, right? Humanity rebelled. Sin entered the world and destroyed our relationship with both God and creation. We lost touch with our Father. So now there's this divide between us and God, with sin making it impossible for us to even know God personally. Humanity forgot their Creator and lived as they saw fit. I mean, just look around in our world, right? Look at all the, all the evil we see. And how easy it is to make a list. And how sometimes we even enjoy making lists. We even enjoy being appalled at, at, at the evils around us. Um, sometimes we're even quick to point out the wickedness of others. Perhaps that speaks to the pride in us, right? Because it begins in our own hearts. I know that even my own heart is by nature sinful and unclean. How creative I am at turning even the good gifts God gives me into idols. How quickly I can shift from following God to chasing after shiny objects. And even with His fingerprints all over creation, we look past them and worship the created things instead. I mean, this is the world that the Son stepped into, right? God spoke to us through His Son because it was through the Son that we were created. Next, the writer tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. What is radiance? One author I read shared the concept of the sun, right? He said that the, the S-U-N sun 
The radiance of the S-U-N sun can help us understand the radiance of the S-O-N sun. Simple, right? (laughs) Now let's think about that. Let's think about the sun, the one in the sky for a second. Now, I've never been to the sun, okay? (laughs) In fact, everything we know about the sun is really, it's, it's light and heat, right? It's radiance. When you look at a sunset and you see all those beautiful colors, that's radiance. When on days like today you go outside and you, you just stand in the sun and soak up the, the warmth on your skin, oh, that's, that's radiance. And I don't know like how people in Alaska do it, right? I was reading an article um, about a town in Alaska recently, and I'd love to tell you the town. It's got like a U, a Q, a K, and like not enough vowels to pronounce. It's one of those. Anyway, there's like this town in Alaska where on November 19th, the sun goes down and just like doesn't come back for 60 days. And it's like, I don't, this raises all kind of questions and I don't have time to ask or answer today. Um, but for me, like I need the sun, right? Marcy and I are going to leave here in a few days to go to Mexico for like six weeks. We'll probably just be standing in the sun down there. Because when you think of us, just think of us. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> I need that light. I need that heat. I need that radiance, right? So the radiance is, is what we experience of the sun. So when the writer tells us that the Son of God is the radiance of the glory of God, it just means that our experience of God the Father and His glory is through the Son, right? Through Jesus. It reminds us of Jesus' prayer for his followers in John 17, where he says, Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If you want to know God, look to Jesus, because he's the radiance of God. Not only that, but the writer continues to say that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus speaks with the authority of the Father. And not only that, but he knows the will of his Father. What happens when someone speaks, but they don't have the authority to represent the person they're representing, or they don't know the will of the person they're representing? I can remember as a kid, every Friday night and Saturday night, I would stay over at my friend's house, and we would kind of swap houses every weekend. It was a good time. And this may surprise you, but we'd also get into a little mischief. (laughs) Usually it would start with us coming up with an idea, like, oh, we should use these like hairspray cans and a torch, a lighter, and make like little torches and run around the house. There's no kids in here today. Oh, busted. Um, don't do that. Check with your father first. Okay, yeah. Now, I was, like, skeptical, right? I was like, are you sure your dad's cool with this? Like, this seems like we might get in trouble for this. And my friend, every time, would be like, no, yeah. Yeah, dude. It's cool. We do it together all the time. My dad loves it. And I was like, okay, dude. Like, he didn't love it, you know, turns out. 
Eventually I learned that my friend doesn't have the authority to speak for his dad. He also isn't to be trusted to know what his dad would want in any situation. We're not friends anymore, but that's not, that's not part of it. Anyway, when Jesus speaks for God, we can trust him, right? He's, he's God's perfect son. He's God in the flesh. God spoke through his son because the father and son are one. Right? Jesus, when they asked Jesus, like, show us the Father, what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Colossians 2, the scriptures tell us that in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily, which is just an awesome verse, but we don't have time to go too deep into that today. But what does this mean? This means that everything Christ did was God speaking, right? Not just what he said, but who he was and what he did. Sometimes we call this the person and work of Christ. We find this truth all throughout the Old or the New Testament, God speaking through His Son. But today I'm gonna I've picked three examples for you to consider. All right, the Gospel of John calls Jesus' miracles signs, right? Because in them God is speaking to us. The signs pointed to some larger truth. Have you ever looked at Jesus' miracles as God speaking? Perhaps, perhaps not. Like I'd invite you to to consider that when you when you read of Jesus' miracles, look what is God trying to say here. One example would be when Jesus healed the man born blind in John nine, right? It spoke to us that we are all spiritually born blind and we need our eyes open by Him. It even tells us later in that chapter, chapter nine. Of John, check it out later. Um, Jesus even makes it explicit. He said, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. God spoke to us through the things Jesus did, He spoke to us through His miracles. In Matthew 9, we see the heart of the Father reflected through the Son. We read one of the saddest but also most touching verses in the New Testament. It says that. When Jesus looked out on the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This spoke to us that God has compassion for the lost and helpless. God spoke to us through the words of Jesus recorded in the scriptures. And the loudest word God ever spoke through the Son, the cross, right? Thinking again of Isaiah 53, when, when he was counted among the sinners, when he was pierced for our transgressions, when he was crushed for our sins, when the punishment that brought us peace was on him, God spoke that it was only by the wounds of his son that we would be healed. Amen? You see, with all the things Jesus said about the kingdom of God and how we are to enter it, He knew that we needed more than knowledge. We needed more than religion or law. He knew that our sin keeps us from the Father. He knew that if we were ever going to be restored to God as His children, our sin had to be dealt with. And only the Son who upholds the universe by the word of His power would be able to save us. Only the Son could make purification for our sins. 
So that's what he came to do. Romans 5 tells us that while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Also that God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So while I was still weak, a sinner and an enemy of God, Christ died for me. While you were still weak, a sinner and an enemy of God, Christ died for you. I mean, that's love. So in, in Christ's death, we see him as both priest who is able to make purification for sins and also sacrifice acceptable to God. Later in this letter to the Hebrews, the writer elaborates on this by saying, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he did what? He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Our text this morning concludes by saying that Jesus sat down at the right hand, right hand of the majesty on high. When do we sit down? We sit down when the work is done, right? It took me a while to learn this when I was a kid. I can always throw myself under the bus as a kid stories today, but here's another one. My dad, when I was a kid, would, would ask me to help him work out in the lawn, right? Super fun. So, like, I'd start out there, right? But inevitably, like 30 minutes later, he'd come inside and just, like, in the living room, just be like, and I'd be like, like, I'm sitting there, you know, drinking Gatorade, right, eating snacks, watching TV. Like, I had forgotten we were even working, to be fair. Like, I, I really did. I'm sitting there, I'm complaining of, like, exhaustion and possible injury. <laughs> that was a tough kid. At one point, like, it, was a, it had to become a rule. Like, no TV if I'm outside working. That was my dad's rule. Now that I'm older, like, I get it. We sit down when the work is done. Obvious, some people could say. Um, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God tells us that the work is done, right? Okay. In closing, I want to offer two words of encouragement. First is for Christians. This is for those whose hope and faith is in Jesus. God has spoken, right? Sometimes in our Christian walk, I think we can grow weary. We can return to that town in Alaska where we can't see the sun, right? Where we don't experience all the radiance of God's glory that he has given us through his son. I'd encourage you today to return to the cross, to the loudest word God ever spoke, and here, once again, 
God's love poured out for you through the blood of Jesus. Maybe you came here today with guilt or shame. Maybe you're feeling the weight of your sin or just carrying a heavy burden. Leave it at the cross. Because when God raised His Son from the dead, He sat Him at His right hand. The work is done. Through Jesus' sacrifice, you have been made perfect forever in the eyes of your Creator. So hear this again. You are forgiven. Amen? Alright, now to those of you who do not yet call Christ your Lord, maybe you're here today, maybe you're tuning in on the live stream. (laughs) Maybe it's six months from now and you somehow found this video. God has spoken through His Son. Have you heard Him? God has called you. One day we will all answer to Him. Will you answer today in faith? Because the word of forgiveness God spoke through Christ on the cross is yours too, if you believe. Now, I'm not going to do an altar call, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you're hearing God speaking today, and you want to learn more about what it means to listen to Jesus, come talk to us after the service. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for sending your Son. We thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but instead speaking to us. We thank you for not leaving us in our sin, but instead purifying us and bringing us back home to you. We look forward to the day when we will be with you face to face. Amen.